Welcome to Trained, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm Ryan Flaherty, the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. On every episode, I call up the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep. All the ways to train your body and mind. Today, I'm chatting with a dietitian who's upending the very concept of dieting, from its fear-based motives to its fleeting results. I understand why people go for diets. They see hope. Hope that one day they'll lose that 20 pounds they've been struggling with. Hopefully that one day their health history would start turning around for the positive. However, every single time a person jumps on a diet, they're left feeling hopeless. Everything is about limit, 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 limit. Flip it over. Living a healthy life is really not about taking away. It's the complete opposite about giving yourself more. That's dietitian and podcaster Rashonda Thornton, telling us something we already know but tend to forget, especially when we're chasing New Year goals. And that's that diets don't work, or at least they usually don't work for long. We might be able to restrict our eating for January, but come February, most of us are looking to make up for lost time. So if restrictive dieting is a dead end or an eventual U-turn, where can we steer our efforts to find that hope? Rashonda's directions are clear. We have to build a better relationship with food. And we're all in a relationship with food till death do us part. If we argue with food, blame food, walk out on food, and come right back the next day, all we're going to get is one really unhappy home, plus an unhealthy body and mind. Instead, Rashonda says we need to learn to love the food we eat, even love the act of eating. And by starting with this positive, self-enriching motivation, rather than a negative, self-limiting one, we're suddenly in a better position to love ourselves. Well, Rashonda, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, yes. My pleasure. My pleasure. First off, I would just love to have everybody meet you. Can you just give us a little bit about your background? Yeah. I am a dietitian. I've been able to utilize my profession in many different realms when it comes to addressing some of the non-traditional paths when it comes to healthy eating and the scary word dieting. So as a dietitian, I own my own private practice. It's called Better Vessel Nutrition. I've written a book called Play to Win, The Food Fight. I actually have a podcast show myself called The Dietitian Against Diets. Along with that, I do a lot of work when it comes to education and speaking to large groups, corporations. I am a mother, have a son who's 18, and I also am a professor here at a university called Maribel University in St. Louis. So last but not least, mm-hmm. I'm also a sports dietitian. I have a master's in human nutrition with an emphasis on sports performance which means I specialize in sports dietetics. So I work with clients anywhere from high school to professional level athletes. So several different hats. Initially, I was always confused when I heard someone was a nutritionist versus a dietitian. Could you help us understand the difference between the two? That's almost the best question you can ever ask. There is a significant difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. A dietitian is someone who pretty much has done the work when it comes to getting there for your degree, at least in nutrition and dietetics. Before they become a licensed and registered dietitian, which means they're a licensed and registered healthcare professional, they actually have to go through a year and a half of just internship rotations, for lack of better words. Then after that, they couple that with having to take a board exam, which causes them to be licensed. So that's the dietitian. Dietitian works in some of the more clinical platforms, hospitals and nursing homes and food service. There are a lot of different companies out there that create certification to be a certified nutritionist. Which is great because it gives you another level of education, but it still does not give you enough depth as far as how can you address multiple conditions. So 
If you ever run to a dietitian, you call her nutritionist, she will arch your eyebrow a little bit. They'll be more <laughs> forgiving because they know sometimes people just don't know the difference. I appreciate you explaining because I think it's important for a lot of our listeners to understand the difference, especially in this day and age of social media experts and everybody saying that they are nutritionists, even if they just have dabbled in or taken a weekend certification, can be a bit dangerous, especially for people who are looking to them as experts if they do have any type of chronic illness or issues that require somebody that really understands their condition to help them. Yes. Very helpful. So I know you originally studied genetics and psychology. What drew you to those subjects? And then how do you use what you learned in your career today? Before I was a dietitian, I actually worked in the field of genetics and biology. So when it comes to understanding the human body physiologically, and even the chemical makeup of how our bodies genetically are different, how they respond to different foods, that's an important piece when it comes to working with individuals, recognizing what's going to work for their body, what's going to be the best environment for their body, what's going to help them to heal, and understand that everyone is a totally different person. Biology really helped me to create more of a service that gets a little bit deeper in how to really match or customize nutrition programs for individuals. When I start piecing together biology, psychology, and nutrition, it totally changed the game in how to mm. approach people, how to work with people, because I have a consultation practice. So I'm not in a hospital, so I'm not just prescribing nutrition. I'm actually working with people, digging in deep and helping them to overcome what's keeping them stuck, what caused yeah. them to keep going in this cycle. You probably have a good grasp on this. We can apply the right foods to help us to lose weight or change our body, but we have immensely and emotionally connected to it in a way that we see it as a form of what does a healthy lifestyle look like? And it's not just following a rule. It's recognizing that emotional component, the way we think, is so tied into every step we make when it comes to the food choices and why. So the psychology component of it is almost a heavier branch than just applying the food part. So just coupling yeah. all three of those together, it allowed me to go against the grain a little bit in regards to the traditional dietitian. You have to take in consideration the person's emotional state, their past, everything about a person to help them understand how to make nutrition work for them. Yeah. I always tell people we continue to create better mousetraps to get you to work out with this app or do this diet, but ultimately we haven't fixed the problem. I think the average right now is like one in 20 people succeed on their diet or training journey past three months. And so to me, when I look at that, I go, well, so then a new workout program or a new diet isn't the answer. The answer is deeper than that. There's something emotionally, psychologically happening that people aren't addressing first. And I know you feel this way too, which is why I was excited to talk to you. As a self-proclaimed dietitian against diets, why are you against them? First of all, it's really what diets represent. But I understand why people go for diets. They're striving to jump on a diet because they see hope. Hope that one day they'll lose that 20 pounds they've been struggling with. Hopefully that one day their health history would start turning around for the positive. However, every single time a person jumps on a diet, they're left feeling hopeless. Mm -hmm. They depleted overworked, burnt out, they don't feel that they actually can make it happen. Whether it's limitations in following some sort of numbers and macronutrients, limitations in food groups, everything is about limit, 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 limit. <laughs> yeah. You cannot wait till it's over. You cannot wait till you get out because you feel like, oh, I just want to live life. And that's the diet mentality. Flip it over. Living a healthy life is really not about taking away it's the complete opposite about giving yourself more, more nutrients. So mm -hmm. I call it living the enriching life. So how can we change that and live the enriching life and understand that nutrition, food is really about bringing in the good stuff, gifting your body with the great stuff. I help people to figure out where they want to go 
and I just work with them to get them there. I can't tell you what to do. I can only work with you to help you to figure out what you need to do. And so that's where the psychology piece comes from because it's about listening to people. It's about recognizing through those conversations what's really their definition of happiness or confidence and how can I connect nutrition to that? Because I can help them get there by using nutrition. They're changing their mindset. They're changing how they're choosing to live and they feel more free. I love the words you're using because like the word freedom, I was talking to a neuroscientist that I work with at Nike the other day and she uses this diagram for motivation. And she shows that the only true motivation that works is really purpose and what she called freedom. She kept using the word freedom because all the other forms of motivation like guilt or shame or external motivating factors always fail, never work. And it's always this idea of like getting to that point of freedom that's real purpose. And it's consistent, always on motivation that you never need to look for. It's just always there, but it's getting people to that place that's really hard to do. I remember the aha moment for me was a few years ago. I read this study that was done within the U.S. military. They took a group of soldiers, and none of them had reported any disordered eating at any point in their life or any body dysmorphia or anything like that. And they just observed them for three months. And then at the end of the three months, for three more months, they then put them on this really restrictive diet. And at the end of that three months, they reported 70-something percent of them landed on the disordered eating spectrum in some way. Wow. 80% reported some form of body dysmorphia. They said that when recorded conversations that you know over 80% of the time, their conversations revolved around what they were eating. And their brain chemistry changed to become obsessed over this idea of restriction and treating food as this bad thing rather than what you keep talking about, which is freedom and nourishment and lifestyle and nutrition, which is all words that are not restrictive. So what motivates people to try these restrictive diets? And what do you think is a better alternative? So many times when people are making changes, whether it's improve their health, perhaps their blood records didn't come back so good, or because they want to look like high school pictures, like whatever it is, sometimes people make change out of fear. They make change when it's the last minute or they're so embarrassed about their body, they're uncomfortable in their own skin. So they just erratically try to make change and it's living off of fear. So instead of trying to make changes out of fear, which doesn't work, do the opposite. Make changes out of love. Love for yourself. And that's the hardest part because we as people, it's hard for us to like take a moment to do something for ourselves, to show love for ourselves. Mm. That's the enriching part. I'm eating this apple because I know the apple is coming with the best nutrients for my body. I know I deserve that. So mm. that's why I'm choosing the apple. So me choosing the apple is self-care and self-love. It's not me because I want to say lean. I want to say I eat healthy because I'm choosing to give myself the best. What you're saying is so much of what I hear when I talk to some of the psychologists we've had on the show, you know, something I do with my athletes all the time, which is in relation to this conversation is the idea of being your own best friend. And I always ask them, so let's just pretend whatever mistake you just made on the field, like you threw an interception or you lost a game or you fell off the wagon and ate fast food the entire last week, whatever it was, mm -hmm. who do you love the most in your life? And they're like, oh, my daughter or my partner or my best friend, whatever. If they did that, how would you talk to them? And they, you'd probably say, it's okay. You're going to get over it. Like you'll get past it. That doesn't define you, whatever. You'll talk really great gracefully to that best friend, that person you love the most. But then why don't you talk that way to yourself? Hmm. It's all about the way we think. And the way we think is the way we mm. talk to ourselves. Be your own best friend, but also let your actions reflect that language. Mm. It's the act of grabbing an apple. It's not eating an apple. It's not digesting an apple. It's the act because I'm choosing mm -hmm. to show self-care and self-love by my actions. So a lot of times, Allow your action to be another part of your language. You know, people tell me all the time, I have to go to the store, I have to cut up the vegetables, I got to cook the vegetables. Like They got to go through this whole process. Guess what? The time you're taking to go to the store, 
the time you're taking to cut up those vegetables, the time you're taking to cook those vegetables, all of that, that whole window of time, that's act of self-care and self-love right there because mm. you're making space and you're making time for yourself. That's really good. And one thing I want to make sure we cover is the cost of fresh food. You know, if you go to the grocery store today with $100, it doesn't go as far as it used to 10 years ago. And so for people listening and thinking that they love everything we're saying, but how do I on a budget afford to eat healthy? What is your advice to those people? We put our money where we feel our priority is. And let's say if it is a person that does not have the financial means to get some of the best foods, there are areas in their lives where they can offset some other things to invest in their health by their food choices. We already know if you don't take care of your health now, you're going to pay for it down the road. So it evens out at some point. But I actually think now, especially with the pandemic, people are saving money because they're learning to cook at home. They're learning to take one piece of meat and make three different meals from that one piece of meat. We can go to the local corner store if they have fruits and vegetables, get things maybe a little more cost effective. Start swapping your sodas for water. Water tree. You buy a bag of chips for two ninety nine. We're gonna buy a bag of apples for two ninety nine. So sometimes people don't know what to buy. They may be in an environment where they're just used to this fast prepackaged foods, and they think that price of it is kind of what sets the path of like what considered expensive or not. But you can go into the grocery store and really use fifty dollars in a way that can make it stretch. And even now with the pandemic, there's so many food banks, there's so many organizations that are just bringing in fresh produce not just canned goods and box goods. So sometimes it may be, you know, being okay with stepping out and just take advantage of some of those services that's meant to bring people healthy food in this pandemic. Yeah. For those of us out there that are listening that really are anxious, especially with the New York, you know, setting goals, wanting to start to shift our focus away from dieting, how would you recommend someone start that process? Start simple. Don't try to attack everything at one time. We always think that success is like doing it all really fast at one time. Try not to just say, for the next 30 days, I'm only going to eat baked chicken and fitness salads. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, that's cool. But first of all, it's not sustainable. You're not going to enjoy it. And you're not even allowing yourself to like embrace this healthy eating. You're just disconnecting yourself and just doing it because it's going to have a promised 10-pound loss. But as soon as that 30 days over, what's next? If you haven't learned anything with your change. So punch holes and learn how to transition. So punch holes is... I never say bad foods are good foods. I choose not to label foods. But if there are some foods that you know is not going to lead you in the direction that you want to go, how can you make modifications to it? How can you break down the portion sizes? How can you find a recipe to make it a little bit lighter and snack on fruit instead of snacking on the cookies? Don't try to follow some caloric number. You yeah. know, Don't try to hit certain macros because you're, you're not equipped to really know how to do that. All calories are not equal. A carb calorie is totally different from a protein calorie. So living off calories is not a good way to just approach eating. I think people already know that. They just feel like that's not enough. Yeah. It is enough because that's starting somewhere. Because at the end of the day, it's all about building consistency. If you can start there and just be consistent with it, now you can lay something else on top of it. And the other one is the transition approach. Transition approach is create space for healthier foods. Create space for it, which means it's not about throwing away the the fries and the burger and the soda and just say, I'm just going to have a chicken salad. Like that's a big change and you can't force yourself into that type of change, but you can transition, you know, you can have your fries, cut your burger in half and supplement that half a burger with a salad. Mm -hmm. And then next time you decide, okay, let me swap the fries. Let me bring in some fresh fruit, keep the half of the burger and I'll have a salad. You still have the soda, you still have the burger. 
But over time, you don't even want it anymore because you just mm-hmm. allowed yourself to open up space for newer foods. Decide first to start changing your mindset in the way you approach food. To me, it's going to be the first step because if you don't do that, it doesn't matter what you put in behind it because it's not going to last. Yeah. And something you said I think is so important is it's the same thing I work with my athletes on. It's I always ask them a question like, what are your favorite foods? What do you love to eat? And they're like, oh, I love you know Mexican food or I love barbecue or I love whatever. And you can literally reach your goals eating those foods. You can make foods taste really good that are, you know, really beneficial for your body. My favorite food is nachos. Yeah. However, my nachos is lean ground turkey with sprinkled shredded cheese. You know, like it's lean, healthy, like whole foods, but it's so tasty to me and I love it. So again, it can be your favorite food, but you can find tweaks to make it healthier, but still fall into the range of something you enjoy. Yeah, I love that. So I agree with you. When we come back, Rashonda explains how to show some love in our relationship with food, how to zero in on our motivation, and how the pandemic era is reshaping the ways we eat. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. You can learn more about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. You know, one of your main concepts is having a positive relationship with food. Like, what kind of relationship do you mean? People don't recognize how much power food has over them. Yeah. The moment you hear people say, oh, the food was calling my name, and it wasn't calling your name. Because food has no control. That's what I mean by that. But we give food a lot of power, and we feel subjected to it. We feel victimized to it. And so we, like, try to walk around it, try to ignore it, so we don't think so much about it. But it has a lock on us. It's an adversarial relationship. Mm. It's there if we're sad. If we're happy, we're stressed out, we're mad, it's there. So it's stability. Food is not meant to bring you back. It's meant to bring you forward. So instead of having an adversary relationship with food, you want to have a partnership with food. And the reason I say partnership, Ryan, no matter how many people you encounter in your life, guess what one thing that will never leave, it will always be with you, and that's food. Because we have to eat. It's our lifelong partner. It's going to be with us until the day we die. So we're subjected to this item until we die Why not create a partnership with it? Mm. Why not look at it that way? But it's also what gives us life. If something's giving you life, don't you want to make the best partnership you can with it? Don't you want to make sure that it's good? Could make sure you're good? A partnership meant to benefit you, not take you backwards. And so when we start changing the lens and start saying that I love food, be okay with saying you love food because that's what's keeping you alive. I actually never heard that before. I really like that. That's a really great way to put it. Couldn't be truer. You also talk about something I do a lot with my athletes from the training lens, which is the importance of knowing your why, your deep sense of purpose. Mm. Um, Because we've talked about earlier, that idea of motivation only goes so far. But when you wake up every day, and if I think about, I'm going to do this for my son and my daughter, and because I want to be healthy and thriving when I'm a grandparent, that's my purpose. That's what motivates me past issues that come up. You hear this a lot, but what does it mean in the context of eating for you? You have to be able to go back to you as your reason why you're making this change because people come and go, things change in life. But if you don't have a reason as to why you're doing whatever you're doing, it's always going to float away. It's never going to be stable. But your why stands for two different things. Whenever you're deciding whatever career you're going to take, whatever you decide where you're going to live, you're going to choose what honors you. Mm. You're going to choose what honors you, what represents you. So when you're choosing your foods and you're choosing why you're going to eat healthy, you want to choose it because it honors you. So that should be your number one reason, one of your reasons why you're bringing in healthy eating or changing your lifestyle or working out. 
You work out because it honors you. It honors your body. So that's one why reason. The other why reason, nutrition meant to heal your body. It's what gives your body life. It's what gives your body growth. It's how you live. So your other why reason is what heals you. So bringing in foods that heals you, and that goes back again to when I talked about, it's hard for people to do something for themselves. It's hard for people to show love for themselves. It's hard. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way that change is really going to happen is when you recognize your value and your worth. And yeah. you're working now out of that love component, out of that fear component. Yeah, so much of it comes down to self-worth, right? Yeah. Food is looked at as a reward. It's looked at, oh, it's a cheat. It's good. It's bad. You know, it's none of that. Yeah, it's something I've actually been practicing since I had talked to that neuroscientist about being your own best friend. Go over Thanksgiving, I had a few nights where I you know, had desserts and stuff. And it was like, yeah, you deserve that. You've been working so hard. Like, And it was just a different feeling. It was totally different from what I've ever done. And I didn't feel bad after having it. I woke up the next day, got back on my game. Like, It's a reward for being disciplined for the past couple months. It's a totally different way to approach it. Which brings my next question of, are there any exercises you prescribe to people to help them on this journey of improving their relationship to food? Do you find like meditation to be helpful? What do you recommend to your clients? I always tell them to surround themselves because if they're new to this and they're doing it by themselves, they're not just naturally going to think to get up to eat certain things or naturally, you know, be in the mindset where they want to keep eating this way. If they're having years and years of a way of living, let's say they're 30 years old. That's 30 years of this ongoing way of living and mindset and all of our past. Mm -hmm. We can't expect to just flip over and change overnight. So it will take time. So I always say, surround yourself by the foods that's going to serve you. Physically surround yourself by cleaner foods. Surround yourself by the right people, the right people that's going to keep you in that positive mindset. And the last thing, surround yourself by objects. Now I say objects, look behind you. I'm sure you got all kinds of literature of books that's something about moving forward, enriching. You have to surround yourself by objects. Could also be, you know, words of encouragement that you keep around you. I actually, on my phone, I tell people all the time, my screensaver is actually a picture that says she believes she could, so she did. Mm. So I don't read it every single time, but a subliminal messaging that I'm seeing is just not going to naturally be a part of your life. You have to put yourself inside of it so it can be a part of your life. Yeah, everything you said, I'm I'm 100% agree with. One of the things you mentioned, I I do want to talk about a little bit because I think it is probably one of the more important things that goes unsaid is this idea of support and surrounding yourself with the people who think like you and are going to help you go where you want to go. Sometimes, and I tell this to my athletes all the time, the most detrimental people to your goals are going to be the people who are closest to you, your family members, your loved ones, someone who kind of undermines the goals by saying, no, it's all good. Let's just go to McDonald's. Like, it's just one meal. Come on. Like, we haven't eaten together in a while. And there's that guilt and that peer pressure that can override sometimes your own discipline. Can you talk a little bit about that, how you work with clients that may be surrounded by family members, loved ones, partners, spouses that aren't on the same path? Someone that's on a road to a healthy life but their whole household is filled with people that loves fast food, loves fried food, and loves sweets. It's easy to say, just don't eat what they eat. That's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. Right. They're already in a vulnerable spot. That's very common. It's never smooth selling. Mm-hmm. It's called life. You got to start figuring out how you're going to address these situations. So first recognizing what's going to happen once you get home. Is the refrigerator going to be full of this? When you start recognizing your environment, you start to figure out okay, what you're working with. One of the things that I always do with people in this situation is how can they give their body a voice? If your body had a voice, what would it say? If you're deciding to bring in a couple of slices of pizza and a couple of beers, what would your body say? Would it be like, yes, I can't wait to break down that high salty and high <laughs> carbohydrate food? Or is it saying, 
okay, do I have to do this again? Or are you saying, oh, here we go. Whatever we decide to eat, our body has to deal with it. You give it crap, it's going to produce crap. That's just the bottom line. It's going to come in and it's going to come out and it's going to leave health conditions. When you speak up for your foods, you're actually speaking up for yourself. But we take our body for granted. We shovel our body to the side until we'll deal with that later. And I don't think that we need to feel like we have to do that. We can address our health and address it in a loving way and start doing it now instead of waiting until we have to. We're obviously in a crazy time with the pandemic. And you talked about people being forced to be cooking more at home. What are some of the challenges that you've seen people face in their relationships with food, particularly during the pandemic? Right now, there's uncertainty with the pandemic, the health of the ones we love. But one thing that is certain is that that food will be there. And when we lean on that food too much because of the certainty, then it can be the culprit of our health. And so what I'm finding, obviously, with people that are not being able to live the life they used to, what gives them a feeling of enjoyment, they start to lean on foods. Now it's the nesting pool to create an unhealthy relationship with food because you're bored, mm -hmm. you're feeling sorrowful, you're not moving around, you're not distracted by more constructive activities. So you're going to lean on some of these foods and it's going to recreate some new patterns. This is uncharted territory. Certain foods are going to be associated with the pandemic. And guess what? That's going to create another emotional tie mm -hmm. that they may not be aware of. And they'll find themselves one of these certain foods and it's connected to their experience when they were alone, they were restricted, they were limited, they were not happy, there wasn't time for celebration. And so I, I really feel like people right now are creating new patterns. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot of work to do once this pandemic opens up. So I think as wellness professionals, we need to start preparing ourselves for what that's going to look like, what kind of conversation we're going to have to have, what kind of approaches can we help work with these people? Because there's a lot of her people out there. My hope is that we don't go to the opposite ends of the spectrum and just dive into a diet, dive into losing this 20 pounds they gained over the pandemic because none of it's self-serving in a beneficial way. None of it's loving. You're, again, trying to force yourself. When you talk about the importance of being kind to yourself, it just makes me think about all these fad diets like keto or intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating. To me, deprivation is not kindness. So why do you think people keep choosing these fad diets? Well, one thing I would say, I get it. <laughs> I'm saying to empathize to people like, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, that's, that's not the smart thing to do and you shouldn't be subjecting your body to that. Before I even go there, I totally get it. It's an inkling of hope. Mm -hmm. No matter what it takes, we're willing to put our body through that for the hope that it would create these results. Let me give a few things to think about. We just talk about making choices out of love and not fear. When we put ourselves through these, we try to fixate our bodies, our metabolism, our natural mechanism of digestion and, and everything in our body physiologically. We are trying to make our body work the way we want it to work. And the whole time, there is deficit. There is deprivation. There is time constraints. We're trying to fix the outside. It's not loving and it's not sustainable. So for those reasons, regardless of whichever tactic, then maybe this is not a good idea. I know, coming from a biological perspective, like everyone's body is relatively the same as far as the speed of our metabolism. I would say use a tornado image. Nighttime, that's at the bottom of the tornado. That's our metabolism. It's slow, right? It doesn't need to be going because your organs are resting. They're doing their thing. Your body's healing. Your metabolism doesn't need to be high. However, once you get a full night's sleep, you wake up, now your metabolism is going. It's up and ready, it's rested. As the day progresses, your body's getting ready to go into a restful state. It's going to naturally 
decrease. So you scoop a meal, your metabolism goes down because it's compensating for a lack of nutrients. If we start mimicking our metabolism, eating throughout the day, we're not going to get into a ravenous state. And at nighttime, we won't feel so overwhelmed. We have to eat so much. How people gain weight is they eat when their metabolism is the lowest. They eat heavy at night because they're tired, they're stressed out, it's just easier, they haven't had time, they're not thinking straight, they don't want to think. So they eat the bulk of their meals or heavier calories when their metabolism is the slowest. Intermittent fasting, it'll cause some fat loss really, really, really quick. We're going to eventually go back to our old ways and guess what? Our body's going to retract everything that we worked so hard for and we haven't learned anything. We find ourselves back at square one. We're trying to force to do something that it's not naturally supposed to do. Our body's not meant to be fueled off of fat first. It's meant to be fueled off of glucose, carbohydrates. So we get our body to where it can optimally burn carbohydrates to help burn the calories. That's how we maintain that weight that we're losing. So it's like we can't be doing tug of war with our body. It's neglecting our body. When you're hungry, that's a good thing because that means your body has burnt up whatever you've eaten and it's ready for more. So we understand how to feed the system to keep it going that's this natural state, and that's how you lose the weight, and that's how you can keep the weight off. Before we go, i just love for you to talk to the people who have decided to make a change to their diet in the new year. How can they avoid some of the challenges of restrictive eating and actually improve their lives? I know nutrition is an individual thing. There's not a cookie cutter. Yeah, there's an overarching, hey, you need to eat whole grains, lean proteins, healthy fat. Like, yes, those are general concepts. But when it comes to breaking it down, it's like what fits your metabolism, what fits your health status, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, mm-hmm. building muscle, leaning out, increase your performance, what your goals are. And how about what foods you like to eat? Yeah. So yeah. all those things are so important to create a life. Mm-hmm. Nutrition has to fit you. You can't fit it. Yeah. You're learning how to love yourself, how to love your body. And all that comes to the perfect storm of on where I want to be physically, on where I want to be emotionally, and I know how to live there. I say, let's get there so we can live there. Mm-hmm. Why struggle your whole life trying to do this and do that? And you won't really ever get there. Let's get there so we can learn how to live in that feeling of freedom of like putting it all together. And to me, it's all worth it. Yeah. Everything I do, it makes that worth it because I know what's on the other side. I know that people are seeking happiness every day. And a lot of the unhappiness is because of the struggle with food. That's why to me, food, I call it nutrition, it's the vehicle I use because I know people struggle with their body their whole life. It's their biggest obstacle. If I can help you overcome your biggest obstacle, what's it going to mean for you once you overcome the obstacle and what you can do moving forward in your life? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why to me, nutrition is so important because we choose to ignore the elephant in the room because we're uncomfortable every day, pulling and tugging and looking at us up in the mirror and sucking our stomach in, looking at old pictures of what we could have, should have been. We're not understanding like we can make that happen, but we have to try a different approach. An approach can't be putting blinders on, following a nutrition program, following a meal plan. It's really starting to recognize yourself and putting yourself inside this whole world of healthy eating. So I think that's a perfect thought to end on. And Rashonda, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime I get an opportunity to take advantage of the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was satisfying. And like a really good meal, it was satisfying because I enjoyed it. The brilliance of Rashonda's philosophy is that it never looks at nutrition in a vacuum. It's always about how food connects us with ourselves and with others, how our mindset supports our eating and vice versa, and how every meal is an opportunity to feel better about ourselves. For anyone who struggles with guilt around eating, that's a revelation. 
And for athletes who've been thinking about food as just fuel, it's a chance to reinvent our motivation and actually look forward to dinner. On our next episode, I'll be talking with mental performance coach Graham Betchart, who's helped some of the NBA's best players become some of the NBA's best players. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to hear covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide, it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions. They shouldn't be taken as fact.